Hi, Pastor Rob here from City East Church and MTL Ministries. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. John 12, verse 23 to 33. This sermon is called The Cross, The Purpose of God. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless an ear of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. And when he said that, he's saying, Unless I die, I'll remain a single seed in heaven and no one else will be there with me. But if I die, I'll produce many seeds. But if, if it dies, he just says it, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So the, the next life has got to be more important than this life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honour the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that was there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. And he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. When he was lifted up, he predicted the cross. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for the, thank you for the Gospels. Thank you, Lord, that you left a record for us to read and, and to get an understanding of heavenly things, to get an understanding of just what you uh, achieved while you're on earth. And Lord, I pray that this sermon today will really hit home the purpose of God in, and, and the, your purposes in Jesus' death on the cross. And so, Lord, that we will get an understanding of the truth of Easter and what it really does mean. So I pray that you uh, help me to say the, only the things that you've called me to say and guard my mouth so that I'll uh, not say anything more than what you have predestined for me to say today. And I pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Life purposes. Uh, men and women find many purposes in life, don't they? Everyone's got a purpose. If you go up to someone and says, what's your life purpose? Uh, some people wouldn't be able to give an answer because some people don't really know what they're meant to do, but others will have a, you know, they'd have a pretty good idea of what their purpose is. Some people find a life purpose in the work they pursue. You know, if you're a doctor, your purpose is to heal people. You know, if you're a musician, your purpose is to entertain people or, or if you're a teacher your purpose is to teach people some people find purposes in their pastime and hobbies so some people work in a job they're really not happy with and then their pastimes and their hobbies become their purpose for life some find purposes in their families and their loved ones you know a, a caring mother a loving mother finds a huge amount of joy and, and a sense of fulfillment in caring for their families don't they some find purpose in volunteering their time to help others. There's people out there that go around and 
help people when they don't want money. They just want to help people. And that's a good thing, isn't it? You know, all, you know what? All these things are really good and healthy life purposes. They really are beneficial to humanity. If we didn't have people with those sorts of purposes in life, then humanity wouldn't be the kind of, you know, wouldn't be a good place to be or people to be among, would it? It's good to have people that want to care for one another. The ancient Greek philosophers Plato and Aristotle had a life purpose of teaching, but when they died, death got in the way of their life purpose. Think about that. They, they lived to teach. That's what their purpose was in, in, in life, was to teach. And when they died, their teaching came to an end. That was the end of their life purpose. Anyone today who is pursuing a life purpose of some kind is going to find that death is going to be a hindrance and a spanner in the works. And not just death, even old age is a hindrance. You know, look at someone who's an AFL football player. He gets to about 30 years old and that's it. That's a spanner in the works for his career, isn't it? Mm -hmm. If he's really lucky, he might get another year or two at best. But old age and death gets in the way of life purposes. Death cut off the life purpose of Muhammad. Muhammad, who uh, began the religion of Islam, when he died, that was the end of his life purpose. He didn't raise from the dead. There was no more Muhammad. When Buddha died, that was the end of his life purpose. Now, they kept his system alive. They kept their systems alive through their disciples, but their purpose on earth had ended. But to Jesus, death was the fulfillment of his purpose, of his life purpose. It was his reason for coming. And that's the difference between Jesus and every other person who's ever lived on earth. When he died, it fulfilled his mission. And if you remember in the scripture we just read in the text, John 12, 27, it says, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. He came to the hour that he came to because it was for the reason of dying and laying his life down for all who would follow him and believe in him so that they can have eternal life. And that was the reason he did it. So we're going to try to find out a little bit more about the uh, purpose of Christ in that. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To us who are being saved, it's the power of God, the message of the cross. But to the world, who, who knows people that if you talk to them about the power of the cross would think you're a fool. Put up your hand if you know people like that that thinks you're a fool if you start talking to them about Jesus, that he died for your sins. Most people, wouldn't they, would think you're an idiot. What are you talking about, mate? But to us who believe, it is the power of God. To us who are being saved, the cross is the very power of God. To the worldly-minded person who has not comprehended the theology behind the cross, it would seem like the cross was the ultimate tragedy. I've had people come up to me and said, you know, you must be really sad today. You know, even that girl said, Rob must be really sad on Easter. Mm. I'm, look, I, I'm sad for one thing, that Jesus had to go through a torturous death just to save us. But I am so glad he did. It's the glory of the faith to know that Jesus is alive, that he overcame death on our behalf, isn't it? Mm. You know... If the ministry of Christ ended at the cross and if he died and stayed dead, it would be the greatest tragedy ever told. But it's not the greatest tragedy ever told. It's the greatest story that was ever told. 
anyone who knows and understands the message of the gospel find that the ministry of Christ did not end there. Jesus' ministry did not end at the cross. But in a sense, it began, didn't it? As when he was witnessed alive on that first Easter morning, the followers of Christ were overjoyed, for they saw the prophecy of Isaiah 25, 8 fulfilled. And it says in Isaiah 25, 8, death has been swallowed up in victory. Isn't that good to know that when you face death, do you know they say that death is the scariest thing a human will ever face? When you have to face death, especially if you don't know where you're going, death is the scariest thing that you could face. And you know what? Each and every one of us could face death any moment. And what I say that is, you know, we don't know when our time is up. We don't know if, if suddenly, you know, Russia decides to shoot, shoot a nuclear warhead in Adelaide and that's it, over and out. So death is uh, the scariest thing a human will ever have to face, especially if you have to face it alone. But if you face it knowing that you're with Christ and knowing that this is just a transitional phase, it's just like walking through a doorway, then you can be comforted in knowing that you're going to be with him forever and ever. And death has been swallowed up in victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 5-7 says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Someone once said that Jesus came to pay a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. Put up your hand if you think you could get out of death without Christ. Has anyone ever overcome death without God? So... Jesus came because he saw a dilemma down here on earth. He looked at us from heaven and he saw that we were down here in our sin and that by our, according to our sin and our unholiness, there's no way that we could get into heaven because heaven is a place for holiness. And if you try to get into heaven with sin and corruption on your body and in your mind and in your spirit, the heaven will just reject you. You just simply won't pass through and get in there. You cannot overcome death in your own strength. So Jesus saw the dilemma. And the father had a solution. He said, Jesus, it's up to you. Go down there, lay your life down so God will die for you and God's blood will atone then for your sin. And so when we stand before God, we have to come before God, not in our own name, but in the name of the Son of God. And then we can, uh, in that we washed under the blood of Christ and we can stand confidently before God in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to explain what that what that really means in a, in a moment. He knew that no matter how good or righteous or how many sacrifices we were to make, we could never be made holy enough to stand before a holy God. The only way for humanity to come before a holy God and be cleared of all sin and stand holy before him is not by our deeds, but by the one holy and righteous sacrifice made for us by Christ. We can only stand before God in the name of Jesus. Amen? Yeah? Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You know what? If we get to heaven, and you, you imagine if heaven was filled with people who got there by works. You imagine if everyone who got there got there because they were a good person. You'd get to heaven, and heaven would be full of boasters. Be full of people going, I got here because I did this and I'm that good. And another person, I got here because I did this and I'm really good. 
and everyone will be boasting in heaven and heaven will be this egocentric place full of boasters. The people who just got there in self-righteousness and, and so on. But heaven's not like that. Heaven is a place where you go and you're humbled before a holy God and all you can do is say, thank you, God, for what you did. All we can boast about is what Christ did in heaven. We can't boast about what we do. You know, if I tried to get in there because of my good works, phew, I've got a terrible debt, a terrible debt. I need God's atonement. I need to be cleared of debt because I am not righteous in my own, in my own self. I'm only righteous in Christ. And it's not because of anything I've done, it's because of what he's done. And that's the way you access heaven. That's the way we get into heaven. Our good works have nothing to do with getting into heaven. We can only enter into heaven in the name of Jesus Christ. John three seventeen to 18 said, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You know, if you get all the world's religions in, and you compile all, all of that, you, you really find that there's really only two groups. There's groups that try to get into heaven through works, and there's a group that gets into heaven through what Christ did. So there's work-based religions, which is pretty well every religion outside of Christianity. They're all works-based. If you look into their religions, it's all what you've got to do to, you know, to, you've got to do all these really good things to get into heaven or to get into Nirvana or whatever place they want to call heaven. But Christianity is the only one that stands on its own in the sense that it's nothing according to, it's not according to what we do. It's according to what Christ did. But then the difference is, what happens is Christ outworks through you good works. He outworks through you righteous things. But it's not because we claim we can do them on our own. We claim that in ourselves we can't do them, but we need Christ to do those things through us. And that's the difference between Christianity and every other religion on the planet. I'm going to ask you some questions. If, if a billionaire went to his bank in which he had deposited $1 billion, could he access $1 million for his own personal use? Yeah, he could. Why? He's entitled to it, and it's his money, isn't it? Yeah. Now, if any of us went to our personal bank and wanted to access $1 million for personal use, could we? Now, I'm assuming no one here is a billionaire, so it's a big assumption. Looch might have a million stashed somewhere. <laughs> well, could we? No? Your, your job's not that high-paying, is it? No, not yet. Okay, why? We don't have it. We don't have it. Okay, now what about if the millionaire wrote us a cheque for a million dollars in his name? Could we access a million dollars for personal use then? Why? Yeah, through, from... From the billionaire, yeah. The billionaire says, I give you a million dollars and he gives us access to it. And what's the deciding thing on the check that gives us access to it? Is his name in this analogy. Very good. So this is an analogy of why we can't get into heaven in our own name, but must use the name of the one who paid for our redemption. You can't get into heaven. We don't have enough righteousness in our bank account to get into heaven only jesus has enough because he was sinless he was immaculate 
He was perfect, impeccable. You know, he got into heaven. Well, he, he came from heaven. He was a man from heaven and he went back to heaven and he did no wrong while he lived. Therefore, he fulfilled the law. Because the law says if you commit one sin, if you've broken one sin, you've broken them all. Therefore, he didn't break one sin or do one, commit one sin. Therefore, he didn't do any wrong. And therefore, his bank account was full. And so he could, in that sense, say, anyone who comes in my name using my check, stands at the door of heaven with a check in the hand saying, this is from Jesus, can access in and walk in to heaven. Does that make sense? If there was no resurrection, I wouldn't be a Christian. Who would be a Christian if there was no resurrection? This is why I don't understand some, some Christian faiths that don't believe that Jesus actually raised from the dead, some kinds of types of cults. Because I don't know, what, what's the purpose then? If Christ died and stayed dead, then we have a smorgasbord of self-proclaimed messiahs to choose from who fit this description. We've got so many other faiths, and a lot of them are really free. You know, you can have faiths, you can get, uh, get into cults that allow you to do all the things that your sin nature wants to do, and there's no guilt. And so therefore you don't feel conviction when you do wrong and, and so on. But being a Christian, you feel conviction for doing wrong, and so you, there's something that keeps you from... Doing wrong keeps you on the path of life, isn't there? There's that, who's got a conscience that when you do something and you know is wrong, suddenly it sort of gets you, you know what I mean? And it makes you correct that and, and do right. That's what Christianity does. But what makes Christianity unique and supported Jesus' claims to be the Son of God and Saviour of the world was his resurrection from the dead. That's the unique thing. That's the, the thing that separates Christianity from every other religion. If the disciples did not see Jesus alive, then they would have most certainly not have died as a martyr's death as a witness of his resurrection. If the disciples did not see Jesus alive, why would they have died a martyr's death? And that's the question we've got to ask. The disciples, 11 of the 12 of them, all were killed for their faith. And they all saw Jesus alive. And because of that, they did not deny what they saw. And therefore, they were willing to die a martyr's death and not recount of the name. And then Jesus says to Thomas, if you remember in that bit we're reading, he says, uh, blessed are those who believe without seeing. You know, blessed are we. How much more blessed are we? They, they saw Jesus and they were committed to the faith and they were willing to die. But blessed are we if we believe in the same strength in that sense and are prepared even in that, in death, to still not turn away from Jesus and stand strong for him. So 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 22 says, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Salvation has come through Jesus Christ and the resurrection is the backbone of the faith. Without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. It's as simple as that. Michael Green said, Christianity does not hold the resurrection to be one among the many tenets of belief. Without faith in the resurrection, there would be no Christianity at all. Christianity would just fall, it would crumble. And if, in that sense, if you can prove or disprove, sorry, the resurrection, you can dispose of Christianity. And why do you think so many scholars are out there trying to, who are atheist scholars, are trying to disprove the resurrection? They know if they can disprove it, Christianity will come crumbling down. It hasn't for 2,000 years. But you know what? If you think about it, disproving all that means is if you can convince enough people that it's not true, then it can come crashing down. Now, the Darwinianism 
which is the theory of evolution, which is taught in schools, has done a pretty good job of convincing a lot of Christians that, that it's all false. And so many people, many Christians throughout the last 100 to 200 years have turned away from being followers of Jesus because of Darwinianism uh, evolution. So in that sense, they're trying their darndest to prove our, or disprove the resurrection. To date, the resurrection is a historical fact and the central event in the history of the world. To date, no one has been able to disprove it. Actually, there's more evidence now for the resurrection than ever in the past. When you think about this, Easter is the celebration of his death according to the Passover. You know, the, res the uh, Easter service should be in relation to the Passover, which is when the Jewish people celebrated uh, the Passover feast, which occurred during the time of uh, Moses. So Easter is in relation to that because Jesus died during the Passover feast. And that's why I think the Greeks have got it right. Am I right? I haven't. This week. It is Passover this, this week. Weekend, yeah. Oh, so the Greeks got it wrong, Bill. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> How could the Greeks get it wrong? I don't know. They're almost perfect. Yeah, they're close. Yeah. Don't worry, the Italians do pretty good too. <laughs> Christmas is the celebration of his birth. And which we know we we know not the date of, but Rome placed the celebration on a day where they celebrated the pagan gods. Did you know how that's how Christmas came about? That the Romans used to uh, worship all these pagan gods, and they put them all into one day, December twenty fifth, and so and then they would have this big celebration in memory of all their pagan gods. And then what happened when they accepted uh, when Constantine accepted Christianity into the Roman Empire? They just stuck that Jesus' date in there with. All of them, and they said, "Well, let's celebrate his birth as well." And a lot of people say, "Well, that's a pagan, you know, uh, festival," and and try to use that to discredit Jesus' birth and all this sort of stuff. But I'm, I'm going to just put to you that I believe that's just the power of God working. And that's God taking what was a pagan festival and getting rid of all those pagan gods and bringing up just His Son as the one that we celebrate. And so now the whole world celebrates it in memory of Jesus, not in memory of these pagan gods. And in the same sense, the cross, which when, when in the eyes of the Romans before Christ, the cross was everything that was most abominable, everything that was terrible. Uh, it was the most, it was a scourge. It was the curse to man before Jesus went upon it. But what did Jesus do? Once he went on that cross and hung there for the sins of men, God turned that, that symbol around. And now that symbol represents hope. Symbol represents love. The symbol represents sacrifice. Everything which is good is now represented in the cross. So God is amazing how he does that. He can turn such a dreadful symbol into a symbol of hope and love. And that's why people like wearing it around their, their neck, because it represents that. The ascension. And we really can't study Easter unless we look at the ascension, and that's where Jesus didn't just get raised from the dead and then live that life on earth and die again later on. Jesus ascended to be with the Father. He was, he was raptured up. Acts 1, 6-9 says, So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times and the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. So Jesus says, 
I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And this is how I'm, I'm relating this to what we just looked at with the ascension. He is the way, meaning he's a path we are to take. The cross is a path. Our Jesus is that path. We walk upon that path. We don't walk on Christ. We don't get him under our feet, but he's a path that we follow. He's the truth, meaning that he himself is the embodiment of all truth and is the reason for our existence. It says all things were created by him and for him. So the only reason we're here is because of Jesus, because we were created for his pleasure. And he is the life, meaning there is no life outside of Christ. You know, it says um, uh, when you receive Jesus, you cross over from death to life. You come from death which is your natural state according to sin. Your sin nature is death. But once you accept Jesus, you step over from that into life. Now you have life abundant in Christ and you'll have life eternal. And just as long as we stay the course and hold on to the end and never turn away or recant of his name. The ascension of Jesus Christ to heaven was not only the completion of his ministry on earth and the soon beginning of the ministry of the Holy Spirit on earth, but it is also the hope of all of our future departures from this earth, that we will follow in his steps and ascend also to be with him forever. And that's the hope. Who has that hope in him? Yeah. When you die, when you depart from this planet, you will go straight to be with him. Paul says, if I'm absent from the body, I'm present with the Lord. So the moment you die, it's just bang, straight there. And this message will mean more to you on your deathbed than ever any other time. I think that's a worthy message that we've got to keep on reminding ourselves of. John eleven twenty five to 26 says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And that's the question, isn't it? Do you believe this? Is the question that's been getting asked for centuries, thousands of years, that, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And it's the question that's getting asked today more than ever and we've got more opposition to that answer and more rejections of that uh, than ever in history. Do you believe this? We've got to ask ourselves that question daily. We've got to wake up in the morning. Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? It's got to mean that much to us that our whole life direction that day is determined by that answer. What we do with that day is determined by answering that question. Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Is he worth living for or isn't he? Is he worth speaking up about? Is he worth preaching to a little group? And I think it's uh, worth it more than we could ever believe. And one thing I said right back in the beginning was, if all I, my life amounts to is just seeing 10 or 15 or 20 people come to know Jesus and believe in Jesus and get into heaven, my life was well lived. And it was worth living if I could see a few people come to know Jesus and stay the course and get into heaven. And then when we get there, we can all just look at each other and say, isn't this wonderful? What a place. You know, eternity. Eternity is such a long time, isn't it? Eternity is a very, very, very long time. Never ending. Never be sick again. Never be, never cry again. Never get people wrong again. Never die again. You know, it's the most wonderful place is heaven. And that's the, that's the true life. This life is the probationary life. This isn't the real thing. If you think this life is it, then you're really misinformed. The truth is 
you know, heaven is, has been made for us to fill. We've got to go up there and fill it. We've got to bring as many people into that place with us as we possibly can. We've got to bring in our families. We've got to bring in our loved ones. Because if, if you don't bring them in, there might be no one else that's going to bring them in. And one day, this is one of the things in heaven, it says that you can go and gaze upon those that have rejected God. You can gaze upon the dead that have rejected Jesus. And I always wonder, why do you have to, why is there a, a viewing platform in heaven where we can go and look into hell or into the lake of burning sulfur? Why does God allow that there to be a place like that in heaven where heaven is the most beautiful place and you never want to be sad in heaven, but you've got a viewing platform to see the dead that have rejected Jesus? And you can go and stand on this thing and look down and you can see in the lake of burning sulfur all the souls throughout all of history that have rejected Jesus burning and, and in constant torment. That's in, the, it's in the Bible. That's in Isaiah 66, 24. And it reads, And they will go out and look upon the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. Their worm will not die, nor will their fire be quenched, and they will be loathsome to all mankind. You can go and view this place and see your loved ones that didn't turn to Jesus. I don't know if you can communicate with them, but at least you can view them. And I tell you, at that moment when you're there looking at them, you'll, you'll just be thinking, why didn't I pray for them more? Why didn't I take more opportunities to speak to them? You know? Because it, it'll be a very, that'll be the saddest part of heaven, I believe. Matthew seven thirteen to 14, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The multitudes are walking upon the wide road that leads to destruction, but the narrow road that leads to life is only found by the few who desire the truth and live for truth. Only those that really want to know the truth, live by the truth, will find the truth. The truth will not be revealed to someone who doesn't live for truth. How can it be? You know, the truth is found by truth seekers. The real truth seekers on this planet will inevitably find the embodiment of truth in the person of Jesus Christ. If you look hard enough, you will find Jesus. And I'm saying that even to Christians too, because I believe Christians have got to look deeper. We've got to look deeper. What is this Christianity stuff anyway? What is Jesus anyway? Who is Jesus to us? How should this truth change us and change our life purpose? Remember, Jesus' life purpose was fulfilled when he died on the cross. And do you know what? There's been multitudes of Christians that whose life purpose was fulfilled when they died. That with their last breath, they could say, as Jesus says, it is finished. I've fulfilled my life and this is now my time where I can enter into glory and receive my promised reward. And it'd be nice to enter into eternity knowing you did everything in your life to serve him, to live for him, to do everything you could to see people come to know Jesus. And you, that you could quote the scriptures from your lips that because he says, if my word abides, in, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. If his words abide in you, you know, you're going to have a lot more impact and a lot, lot more transformation power in your, in your words as you speak to people. And you'll have more impact with God because he says he'll give you whatever you ask. So it would be nice to know when you die, 
that you can say it is finished. I've run the course. I fought the good fight. I led those to Christ. I suffered persecution for you and they rejected me. I did everything that you called me to do. I fulfilled the great commission that was given to me. I did everything in my power. That'd be a nice place to be, wouldn't it? So I'm just going to finish with a uh, something I got from Peter Hammond, Dr. Peter Hammond in South Africa, who's a guy that I correspond with from time to time. He's a wonderful man, with missionary over there, and he's doing going great guns for God in, in South Africa. And uh, his substitutionary sacrifice, and that's what I called this little thing he wrote. He became like us that we might become like him. He was rejected that we might be accepted. He was condemned that we might be forgiven. He was punished that we might be pardoned. He suffered that we might be strengthened. He was whipped that we might be healed. He was hated that we might be loved. He was crucified that we might be justified. He was tortured that we might be comforted. He died that we might live. He endured what we deserve that we might enjoy what only he deserves. Remember the word says, you know, if a seed abideth alone, it stays a single seed. But if it, if it dies, it will become many seeds. Scientifically proven before a seed germinates, it dies momentarily and then it germinates. So life comes out of death. Isn't that amazing? Discovery. And that was said 2,000 years ago by the, the Lord who created the sea. <laughs> so I think we know. Yeah. All right, let's uh, take the Holy Communion. If we could pass them around, that'd be great. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just thank you for this uh, opportunity to preach today and uh, that you've given me a message that hopefully will have um, stirred us and hopefully opened our eyes to so many things. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with us this week, that you'd uh, just bless the week and that uh, give us answered prayer to, to the prayers that have been getting prayed by those here that, that need to uh, see breakthroughs in certain areas. And I pray that you'll give them those answers this week. I pray also that you'll really stir us to uh, go deeper and deeper in your word, in prayer, in in life and in their Christian life and uh, help them to produce fruit as your word says that you call us to produce fruit help us to produce fruit for you um, and in our in our areas of uh, influence Lord I pray even for the young ones here those that are teenagers that uh, can find it difficult to talk to their friends because it can seem uncool and all that sort of thing but Lord I just pray that just little gems of wisdom will be handed from them from time to time with those closest to them that uh, and that those little things will will build into a one day them accepting you as lord and savior so i pray for a boldness and a confidence and also a spirit-led ability to reach people for you in your wonderful name thank you lord and uh, bless the rest of this time together as a church amen amen, amen.